The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to PCC Online. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Susan. I've been coming to PCC for about four and a half years now. Um, if you've been following us online, you'll know that we've been doing a series about the Kingdom Revealed where we've been looking at different parables that look at the different um, features of the Kingdom of God. And this morning uh, we're going to be looking at the parable of the wedding feast from Matthew 22 verse 1 to 14. But before we read the parable, I'd like to look at the context in which Jesus is speaking. In Matthew 21, um, Jesus has been healing the blind and the lame and um, in the temple and, and he's being referred to as the son of David um, or Messiah. And this is really starting to irritate the chief priests and the religious leaders. In fact, they're getting indignant and irate and furious at Jesus's claims of being the Messiah. Later, he starts speaking in parables and he really starts to challenge the religious leaders. Um, and at one point, he actually outrightly says to them in verse 31, I assure you and most solemnly say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. So we already know that the main audience uh, when we come to the parable of the wedding feast um, are the chief priests and the Pharisees and other religious leaders that Jesus has already been challenging um, about their authority and their place in the kingdom of God. And so this helps us understand uh, some of the main points that are being communicated. Uh, but we're also going to unpack some other points um, for, from the parable that we can apply to ourselves as well. So let's have a read of the parable from Matthew 22, verse 1 to 14. It says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for what we've been learning about um, your kingdom. Father, I just pray this morning that you would continue to bring us revelation, that you would challenge us. Um, Holy Spirit, we invite you to just breathe life into these words and, and show us how we can apply them to our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've seen in the parables that we've been exploring so far, um, there are quite 
confronting themes um, that we've been presented with. Jesus certainly hasn't been pulling any punches with um, some of the things that he's been saying. We've certainly seen God's grace and his love being shown in these parables, but we've also seen his justice and his righteousness. Um, But as with all parables, we need to look at some of the big ideas um, that are being communicated and not necessarily try to draw meaning from every specific detail. So it's pretty clear with this particular parable about the wedding banquet for the king's son, it's really referring to the marriage supper of the lamb, where Christ will be united with his bride, the church, and where we'll get to enjoy the ultimate wedding feast. And that's spoken about in Revelation 19 verse 9. So it's um, really quite a clear reference about who will actually be included in the bride of Christ and who will be able to enter um, the eternal kingdom. So the first thing that I'd like to draw out from this parable is the fact that the king's pursuit is passionate. The king who's representing God pursues us. There are three invitations in this particular parable. There's the initial invitation in verse 3, those who had already been invited. Um, There is the second one where the servants now go out to those um, recipients, um, telling them to come in those days that um, people were given an an initial invitation. And then when the feast, which sometimes took days to prepare when it was ready, they would then be notified about when to actually start coming. So there's the second invitation. And then there's the third invitation where the servants go out to find anyone who they can find. So it's pretty clear in the parable that the king wants people to be a part of and enjoy the wedding banquet just as God wants um, people to be a part of his kingdom. God pursues us and that's the overarching message throughout the entire Bible is his pursuit of us and it's made clear that his desire is for everyone to enter his kingdom and enjoy the wedding feast. In Isaiah 45 verse 22 it says turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, it said, God, our Saviour, wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. 2 Peter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. And the context in this verse is his promise of him coming again, his second coming. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Uh, Hillary preached a, a number of weeks ago the fact that the kingdom of God has not arrived yet. We still have time. Um, he's not slow in keeping his promise to give us that time for more people to be able to enter his kingdom and accept his invitation. And then John 3.16, a verse that many of us know very well. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. These passages, along with the parables that we've looked at already in this series, highlight that the kingdom of God hasn't been reserved for the religious elite or for the, for the Israelites and the Jewish nation. He sent his servants to invite anyone they could find, the bad as well as the good. It's quite interesting that phrasing of inviting the good along with the bad Um, and many would say that the good in that context would have represented people part of the the Jewish nation those who followed God's commandments and that the bad would have referenced the Gentiles and those who hadn't been following God's commands but we're starting to see a shift in what is actually 
um, classified or what's being defined as God's chosen. It's no longer based on their racial origin, but it's now based on the king's invitation, which Jesus had been teaching was an acceptance of him. The kingdom of God is for anyone who receives his invitation and accepts Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. And perhaps you've had a a misconception about who God is and and what he's like. Uh, Many often think that he's strict and that he's harsh, that he's distant and angry. Um, And I hope and pray that as you see the heart of the king, that you'll know that he loves you and that he's pursuing you, that he wants the best for you and that he longs for you to be a part of his kingdom. So again, the, the king's pursuit is passionate. The second thing that I want to draw out from this parable is the fact that the consequences are catastrophic. There are two groups who suffer really severe consequences in this parable. We've got those who outrightly rejected the king's invitation and then at the end the man not wearing the wedding clothes. So in relation to the first group, those who refused the king's invitation, to do so in the context in which Jesus was speaking would have been equivalent to committing high treason, to um, refuse a command or um, a, a request of the king would have been taken as that. And that explains the king's extreme response in sending his soldiers to destroy them and burn down their village. The point being made, however, was to those who were initially deemed worthy of the king's first invitation, not only missed out on the banquet, but suffered the king's wrath and judgment. Jesus is speaking directly to the religious leaders here who deem themselves worthy of God's kingdom. But by refusing to accept Jesus, they too would be excluded from the kingdom of God and face God's judgment. And while Jesus is specifically addressing the religious leaders here, the parable makes it really clear what the consequences are for anyone who refuses his invitation. They are serious and eternal consequences. It can be really hard to engage with these aspects of the Bible that seem overly harsh and exclusive, but we do need to be true to God's word. Um, Yes, God is a God of justice and he's holy and he's righteous, But as I've mentioned in my previous point, he is also a God of love. He's made a way for us to escape his judgment and an eternal separation from him, which is through Jesus and accepting Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. As for the man who wasn't wearing the, the wedding garments, there's a few things to unpack here. At first, it seems really harsh and unreasonable that he was kicked out of the banquet. But we can assume one of two things. Either one, he was provided with clothes and he refused to wear them. Or two, he would have had time to actually get ready and be prepared and and wear the proper attire. Uh, But for whatever reason, whether it was laziness or arrogance, he didn't. Um, And you know the attire that's expected of you when you go to a wedding or any special event. Um, And you know really quickly before the event has even started um, if you're not dressed appropriately. A number of years ago, um, I was a youth leader and we were on a uh, weekend getaway to the Blue Mountains. We had a winter camp in the Blue Mountains. And for those of you who know me, you know that I like to dress comfortably and appropriately. So being a winter camp in the mountains, I had, you know, tracksuit pants, parkas, beanies, joggers, that kind of appropriate camp dress, dress wear. But when we were on the camp, we found out that one of our young people who had kind of been in and out of the church and had had a bit of a rough life, 
um, was getting married that weekend. And so we kind of had to make a snap call about whether or not a few of us would drive down to support her in the wedding. And um, one of the points of contention was the fact that none of us had come with wedding clothes. But we felt that we really did need to support her in this. And so we kind of exchanged clothes with people that perhaps had better dress sense than I did and, um, and, and rocked up. But even still, I remember just kind of wanting to hang back to the very last point to come into the church and sit in the back row and cover the Converse shoes that I had borrowed with my bag and realised that people's eyes were on us and knowing how out of place we were. So the point that I'm trying to make is the guy who rocked up to the wedding banquet would have known um, that he hadn't dressed appropriately. And the fact that when the king addresses him, he's speechless. He knows that he doesn't have an appropriate excuse. And so when uh, he's then thrown out of the banquet, he's tied up, thrown into the darkness, where we're told there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are a number of interpretations with this part of the, the parable. Some say that the wedding clothes represent the righteousness of Christ. Uh, that we need to be clothed in um, and that while he professed an acceptance of the invitation and wanted to participate in the festivities, there hadn't actually been any sort of change in his outward appearance, um, similar to people who profess a faith in Christ um, but haven't been transformed or there's no evidence of that in their lives. There's many passages throughout God's word that talk to us about the fact that we need to um, live out our faith that we need to do more than just profess a faith in Christ. Our faith needs to be evident in the way that we live our lives. In James 2 verse 17, it says, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. In John 14 verse 12 and 15, it says, Truly, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I am doing. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In John 15, 4, it says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So there needs to be some sort of fruit or some sort of evidence in our lives of our faith in Jesus. In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect will. And then in Philippians 2 verse 12, it says to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There are countless times throughout scripture where believers are instructed to live out their faith, to live a life of obedience and to be transformed by the Spirit. And we need to do this continually and not become complacent about our faith. And I really believe, particularly in the Western world, that complacency and apathy are two of the biggest tools that the enemy uses, not just against unbelievers, but against us as Christians as well. How quickly and easily we can let other aspects of our lives um, take priority and take over our lives, whether it be work, and we saw this in the parable, that um, they refused the initial invitation to go back to their work and to go back to their businesses or it might be relationships, and these in and of themselves are not bad things. Uh, but when we let them take over, they can slowly um, cause us to lose our connectedness to the vine, our connection to, to Jesus, and, and um, 
inhibit the Holy Spirit from transforming us and moulding us into more of a likeness of Christ. And the language of Philippians is really quite powerful here. It says um, about continually working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that's not a a fear of we need to be afraid. Uh, It's more of a holy reverence here. Um, But I think it really highlights the fact that we need to be on guard, that we need to work at our salvation and protect it continually because we need to be honest that we live in a, a a spiritual world where there is a spiritual enemy and that enemy is serious about wanting to cause doubt and for us to lose our faith so we really do as Christians um, those who profess a faith in Jesus we need to guard our faith and we need to continually work at our faith to ensure that um, yeah we we are transformed by the Lord and another thing that I felt to share um, today is that as believers that we're not to be afraid of wrestling with some of the more difficult aspects of scripture and even the attributes of God that we don't fully understand. God's big enough to handle our humanity, our weaknesses and our finite understanding. It's great to be a part of a faith community that that doesn't shy away from from those issues um, because blind faith isn't genuine faith. And if we don't... um, grapple with these ideas and if we're not steadfast in our beliefs and our trust in the Lord then we'll become like the home that's built on sand and when the storms of life come as many of us are living right now our homes will crumble Uh, they won't stand so I really encourage you if if that's you if you're in a season of life where you're really challenged with parts of the Bible or struggling with your relationship with God that you're doubting your faith can I really encourage you to connect with either your connect group leader or um, contact the church office or one of the pastors to really talk through that and to, um, to yeah, journey with that and not be afraid to, to wrestle with that. Um, because as I said, I think it's really important as Christians that we do kind of wrestle with these ideas and solidify our faith in the process. So whether this aspect of the parable, the man being kicked out of the banquet, um, directly correlates to believers who've lost their faith, um, whether it is or, or, or not, um, it's always a good reminder that a profession of faith is not enough um, and that we need to live it out, not just in words, but in our deeds as well. And this brings me to my last um, group of people that I'm going to just draw some information from who aren't the main focus of the parable but again I think it highlights an aspect of our responsibilities as Christians and servants of the king and that's looking at our responsibility and the responsibility is real. Given that we know that the king extends his invitation to everyone and how serious the consequences are for those who don't accept the invitation it's still up to us servants of the king to deliver the invites. It's not our responsibility about whether they refuse or accept the invitation, but it is our responsibility to tell them that there's a wedding feast that's being prepared and that they're invited. In um, Matthew 28, verse 19, the Great Commission, again, another verse that we're familiar with, and I'm reading from the Amplified Version here. It says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. I've personally been really challenged by this lately, especially in the lead up to this, um, the sermon this morning. And I find sharing my faith really intimidating. Um, I'm worried that I'll lose face. 
uh, that I might face rejection, that my friends might think I'm a bit of a religious nut, um, that I might not have all the answers to their questions. But I've really been encouraged to pray, um, to pray for, for those around me who I know are unbelievers and particularly to pray for people who once did profess a faith in Christ and have now walked away. And also to um, pray for myself, to continue to, to grow in my heart for the lost, to have boldness and, and courage to, to speak my faith, for opportunities to speak my faith and for the obedience to be able to actually speak my faith in those, um, in those times. And we really need to take this responsibility seriously. So I encourage you, if you also, like me, find it really intimidating, will you commit to at least praying for your loved ones, praying for your colleagues and your family and your friends who, who may not know the Lord? Because as we've seen this morning, the, the consequences are really quite horrendous. But there is a way. God has made a way. Um, his pursuit, again, is passionate. He desires for each one of us to enter his kingdom. And he's made a way through sending his son, Jesus, to die for us, to allow us to enter his kingdom. Um, but if people refuse that invitation, then the consequences are catastrophic. It's an eternal separation from God and, and uh, an eternity away from God. And so because of that, our responsibility is real. We need to take that responsibility seriously. So I'd love just in the, the um, closing moments of this morning's service for you to actually spend some time, ask the Holy Spirit who it is that you would have him pray for, um, to intercede for, to really do spiritual warfare for um, so that we can have more people enter into his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed your kingdom to us, Lord, that you haven't hidden it, that there's no secret um, entry into it. You've made, made it so clear for us, Lord. So, Father, I just pray for those of us who are still on that journey of finding more about you, Lord. Would you just give revelation? Would you show truth and give understanding, Lord? Father, for those of us who have already professed a faith in you, Lord, would you just continue to grow us in our faith? Would you um, allow us to just stand firm on your word, um, to just be unshakable in the midst of life's storms? Um, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to have a heart for the lost, to have your heart for the lost, to see and recognize the people around us that we can speak to and extend the invitation to your kingdom. Give us courage, give us boldness, Lord. Give us discernment in the words to speak and when to speak them. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.